On November 20, about 90 people stormed and overran a Nordstrom store in the wealthy San Francisco Bay Area suburb of Walnut Creek in California. At least three of them have been arrested, according to Walnut Creek Police. The thieves stole more than $100,000 of merchandise in just one minute before escaping in 25 different cars with their license plates either removed or covered. A day earlier, on November 19, five people were arrested in connection with a smash-and-grab, um, a smash-and-grab burglary by a group of about 20 to 40 people at a Louis Vuitton store, also in San Francisco. The following week, police in Minneapolis suburbs, um, where a large group of thieves hit three separate Best Buy stores on November 26, have identified some suspects but have so far made no arrest. All three of these incidents were organized on social media. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Beat Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Bidemi Logunde. On this episode, I'll be discussing the role of social media in the recent series of mass lootings that are happening all over the United States. I'll also do a deep dive into some organized crime rings that use online shopping sites to sell stolen goods. They were recently busted by law enforcement officials. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. So there is this term called flash mobs, and they, were, they are usually announced online in social networking sites or by emails and text messages. And they were once thought to be benign and even entertaining. But then recent gatherings by groups of teenagers have evolved into more sinister actions. However, before I proceed, I want to provide some context and show how these flash mobs have been in existence for actually quite a long time, as far back as a decade ago, back in 2011. So in the spring of 2011, several retail chains in Chicago, including Feelings Basement, Armani Exchange, and The North Face, were victimized by similar incidents where Teens swarmed stores located in Michigan Avenue's Magnificent Mile Shopping District. Um, These teens screamed, knocked over displays, and then fled with jeans, sweaters, and shirts. In June of 2011, a group of about 40 teenage boys, including some as young as 11 years old, swarmed a suburban Sears store in Philadelphia, and they took off with thousands of dollars in merchandise, including sneakers, socks, and pretty much anything they could lay their hands on. So in that Philadelphia incident, 15 people were apprehended and charged with retail thefts and conspiracy to commit robbery. And this, all of this is according to a police department spokesman in Upper Derby in Pennsylvania. So the 19-year-old suspected of organizing that flash mob pleaded guilty in September of 2011 to misdemeanor shoplifting and conspiracy charges and was sentenced to two years probation. On August 13, 2011, at about 1.47 a.m., surveillance cameras at the 7-Eleven gas station in Germantown, Maryland, captured some teenagers walking into the store. Within seconds, dozens more young people entered and grabbed items from shelves and coolers, and according to Montgomery County police officers, at least 28 teenagers left the store together without paying for anything. Police posted a surveillance video on YouTube and asked the public for help in identifying those perpetrators. Officers initially believed that the internet was involved in how the robbery was organized, but it turned out that the group plotted the mass robbery while riding a city bus. 
So in early August, still in 2011, the mayor of the city of Philadelphia at the time, Michael Nutter, signed an order moving curfews to 9 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays for people younger than 18 in Center City, which is the heart of Philadelphia's downtown, as well as in University City, which is the home of the University of Pennsylvania and Drexel University. So the curfews were announced following a string of flash mob attacks by young people who were alerted to those gatherings by either email or social media. A few months later, in November of 2011, another flash mob of about 50 people robbed another 7-Eleven store in Silver Spring, Maryland, just after 11 p.m. on Saturday, November 19, 2011. So violent flash mob attacks were also reported in other cities across the U.S., which led to crackdowns, curfew enforcement, and increased police patrols. For example, extra state troopers were called in after a mob beating at the Wisconsin State Fair. Other attacks um, in Cleveland, Ohio, Las Vegas, Nevada, and St. Paul, Minneapolis, led to dozens of arrests of teens and resulted in extra police patrols in and around those cities. Back in August 2011, in Washington, D.C., surveillance cameras caught a group of 10 young women streaming into a convenience store and making off with bags and snacks. In a July 2011 survey, the National Retail Federation, NRF, said that mob attacks were reported by 10% of the 106 retailers it surveyed, a group that included department stores and big box chains, as well as grocery and drugstore operators. In about half of those cases, security personnel apprehended the suspects. The survey examined crimes involving more than one perpetrator, and the survey found that several incidents resulted in injuries. So for the first time, that July 2011 survey by the NRF included advice um, for handling flash mobs in its recommendations to its members about controlling crowds during big events. Among other things, the NRF urged retailers and police to monitor social media networks and websites for indications that groups will be descending on a store. In addition, workers were advised to alert their managers or loss prevention workers whenever they see unusually large gatherings of people inside or directly outside their stores. So city officials in Cleveland, Ohio, actually considered making it a crime to summon a flash mob via Facebook, Twitter, or other social media platform. However, the idea was shelved based on civil rights. So between 2010 and 2011, retail merchandise theft rose 8% to $27 billion, according to the results of a security study that was conducted by the University of Florida for the NRF, the National Retail Federation. However, security experts have strongly discouraged store employees from intervening or stopping shoplifters due to the risk that it could turn violent. Some retailers, worried about safety and liability, are so adamant about that policy that they have actually fired store clerks who chased down shoplifters. Investigators will sometimes let a theft unfold just to help them identify a fence. So basically someone that collects stolen goods to then sell it to other people. So that's what's called a fence. So now, fast forwarding 10 years after um, to the present day, 2021. We now know that property crimes, including theft, are starting to rise in some major cities such as San Francisco and Los Angeles after falling during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. For example, in San Francisco, property crime is up 10% this year, up till the first week of December, from the same period last year. 
However, property crime is down 15% when we compare from two years prior. So compared to 2019, property crime is actually down 15%. But then compared to 2020, property crime in San Francisco is actually up 10%. So it kind of fluctuates, goes up, comes down, and so on. So according to law enforcement officials investigating this recent series of property crimes, a recent rash of thefts by fast-moving mobs at stores in the San Francisco Bay Area and just outside Minneapolis were organized on social media and committed by people who often did not know one another. One law enforcement official said that Snapchat was among the social media apps and messaging services used by the thieves in the Bay Area incidents. The organizing tactics, which police say they haven't seen before, make it difficult to catch or identify the perpetrators. In addition, when suspects are arrested, they often don't have names or other information about the other people who were there because these things are organized on social media. There's no time to, I guess, introduce each other. Hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. Nice to meet you. So a spokeswoman for Snap Incorporated, the company that owns Snapchat, said the company has investigated the issue and has not found any evidence of such activity on its app. She said that promoting harm to property on Snapchat would be a violation of its policies and terms of service. Law enforcement officials say loosely organized groups known as flash mobs come together to commit thefts after someone posts a target and a time on social media. These officials often decline to provide details on how they believe people are finding the posts, which might be in private social media groups, in order to protect their own sources and methods. So similar crimes, as I described earlier, have also occurred at stores in Chicago, Los Angeles, and other parts of the San Francisco Bay Area. Los Angeles police, who have made several arrests, declined to comment on how the thefts were organized. So the incident come as social media companies face multiple regulatory investigations and congressional hearings related to the potentially harmful and illegal activity taking place on their platforms. Law enforcement officials point to the fact that on some of these social media apps, users can send messages that disappear after a preset time in addition to the encryption that the platforms also provide. Investigators say they believe that the recent string of thefts in the Bay Area were timed around the verdict in the trial of Cal Rittenhouse, a teenager who was acquitted on November 19 of charges of killing two people during unrest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last year. So these investigators theorized that the robbers planned the thefts at that time because they believed police would be distracted by preparations for possible protest over the verdict. So Bay Area law enforcement officials say they first saw the unusual phenomenon of mass thefts and robberies last year during protests over the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. In one example, more than 70 new cars were stolen from a Dodge dealership in San Leandro, California on the night of May 31, 2020. Similar crimes also occurred on November 3, 2020, the night of the presidential election, when several marijuana businesses were overrun by large groups of armed robbers in Oakland, California. Officials say they don't know whether those incidents were organized on social media. According to retail investigators, law enforcement officers, and court documents, retailers are still spending millions a year to battle organized crime rings that steal from their stores in bulk and then peddle the goods online, 
often on Amazon's online retail platform. The menace has been supercharged by the pandemic and the rapid growth of online commerce that has accompanied the pandemic. So a trade association known as the Coalition of Law Enforcement and Retail estimates that organized retail theft accounts for around $45 billion in annual losses for retailers nowadays, which is up from about $30 billion a decade ago. So investigators working with law enforcement expect to close 73 e-commerce cases this year, involving about $104 million worth of goods stolen from multiple retailers and then sold on Amazon. So that compares with just 27 cases last year involving about $52 million worth of goods. So it's kind of doubled within just one year. As a result, stores have doubled or even tripled their crime team over the past two years and purchased their own surveillance vans with 360-degree cameras and high-powered telescopes. Home Depot says the number of its investigations into these kinds of criminal networks has grown 86% since 2016 and exceeded 400 cases just last year, with the majority of them involving e-commerce. As a result, the company has doubled the size of its investigative unit over the past four years, and the team works alongside thousands of trained asset protection specialists who are stationed in stores to spot suspected thieves. Other stores like Target, Ulta Beauty, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls have also bulked up their security resources. So complicating this ongoing battle, however, is Amazon itself, which investigators and law enforcement officials say is one of the most prominent outlets for criminal networks, given its vast pool of potential customers and insufficient vetting of sellers or their listings. Retail and law enforcement investigators say they struggle to obtain information about potentially illicit sellers from Amazon, which generally declines to provide information about sellers without a legal subpoena or other legal action. Investigators say um, that other online selling platforms like eBay are more willing to cooperate without legal intervention. So an Amazon spokesperson said the company does not tolerate selling stolen goods and works with law enforcement and retailers to stop bad actors, including withholding funds, closing accounts, and making law enforcement referrals. In 2020, Amazon spent about $700 million to combat fraud on its platform. However, the company does not share customers' and sellers' personal information without a subpoena due to privacy concerns. So over the years, organized retail crime has moved away from flea markets and corner stores onto the internet, where criminals can move their products quickly and anonymously. Boosters, who are often drug addicts, targeted by organized crime rings, typically sell their stolen goods for about 5 to 10% of retail value to a street-level journeyman or a fence, who then sells them to a larger-scale distributor. Retail investigators have blamed changes in sentencing laws in some states for an uptick in theft. In California, a 2014 drug law downgraded the theft of less than $950 worth of goods to a misdemeanor from a felony. Target recently reduced its operating hours in five San Francisco stores, citing rising thefts. So the corporate investigators who are charged with tackling the problem are often former police officers. They tell the thieves, they compile investigative reports, they stalk storefronts for stolen goods, and they comb through trash outside suspects' houses. They look over videos from stores that have been robbed, 
and they scour through profiles on online marketplaces. Earlier this year, investigators identified an Amazon seller account with over $1 million in suspicious listings. It was linked to a video store in Leominster, Massachusetts. In May, local law enforcement, working together with CVS and other retailers, arrested the video store owner. Amazon kept the online seller account for at least six more weeks after the arrest and then closed it at the earliest appropriate time after reconciling inventory and completing the necessary documentation. In late 2017, CVS investigators interviewed three different shoplifters who all said they worked for Mr. Bob, a 70-year-old man named Robert Whitley, who owned a business in Atlanta, Georgia. Investigators at CVS shared pictures of the thieves with their counterparts at Target, Publix, and Walgreens, and according to case documents, all four stores were getting hit by the same people. In conjunction with the FBI and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, the four teams took two years to unravel the network of shoplifters who had stolen over-the-counter medicines from hundreds of stores in nearly a dozen different states. According to court documents, Mr. Whitley operated an Amazon store called Closeout Express for about seven years, and he sold about $3.5 million in stolen goods on the platform. In April, he pleaded guilty to transporting stolen property across state lines, and his daughter, 47-year-old Noni Whitley, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to do so. On October 12, 2021, Robert Whitley was sentenced to five years, 10 months in prison to be followed by three years of supervised release. His daughter, Noni Whitley, was sentenced to five years in prison, also to be followed by three years of supervised release. So Amazon said it cooperated with this particular investigation. In recent years, law enforcement officials have become more focused on organized retail crime. Some states have formed regional task forces devoted to the issue. Walmart sometimes gives detectives a corporate gift card to use for undercover sting operations to assist those efforts. A CVS investigator involved in the Atlanta investigation said he provided the FBI agents with cases of electric toothbrush heads and fusion razor blades to help an agent make an undercover sale to Mr. Whitley. In 2020, Home Depot paid for more than $400 in equipment, including a GPS tracker, to help Colorado police follow a member of a crime ring who was transporting stolen goods, basically power tools, to a house that is about 1,000 miles away in Katy, a suburb of Houston, Texas. So the house in Katy, Texas, had been turned into a warehouse with an elevator to move goods between floors. So Stephen Scarrett, who is a former painting contractor, allegedly ran an Amazon storefront that sold almost $5 million in stolen goods between 2018 and 2020, according to a search warrant that investigators served Amazon with in January 2021. So Mr. Scarrett was charged in mid-July of this year with first-degree felonies for money laundering and engaging in organized criminal activity. Amazon agreed with Texas law enforcement officials to temporarily keep a seller account open to support the investigation, and then they closed the account later in July. In recent years, retailers have pressed Congress to pass legislation requiring e-commerce sites to verify details for third-party sellers and make certain information public, which will therefore make it harder for people to sell stolen goods. Amazon, along with other online marketplaces, including eBay, has lobbied against the bill, 
saying such measures would invade sellers' privacy. In addition, the legislation would likely favor large retailers at the expense of small businesses that sell online. So last year, Amazon began conducting interviews to verify seller identities, and they now do so for more prospective, for most prospective sellers. The company also requires prospective sellers to provide government-issued identification, addresses, credit cards, bank accounts, and taxpayer information. It also makes public some seller information. And last year, the verification process stopped more than 6 million attempts by apparent bad actors to create new seller accounts. In September of last year, CVS investigators in San Francisco tracked an organized crime ring of nearly two dozen boosters for weeks. They targeted CVS stores and stole up to $39,000 a day in merchandise. Investigators followed the stolen goods to two units in a warehouse facility in Concord, California. Law enforcement officials ran the address of the warehouse facility through an online database and they discovered a registered business called Delux, D-L-U-X-E. So the company was owned by Danny Drago, known to boosters as Danny the Medicine Man for the types of products he bought, and his wife, Michelle Fowler. A website for that company said it did business with Amazon's, quote, top-rated sellers. So on September 10, CVS investigators asked Amazon for more details on its relationship with Delox. Amazon refused, saying it would only respond to a subpoena from law enforcement. However, when the San Mateo Sheriff's Department served a search warrant to banks associated with Mr. Drago and Ms. Fowler on September 28 last year, investigators realized the Drago enterprise was more extensive than they had thought. The district attorney's office then froze the account through a court order. Investigators believed Mr. Drago and Ms. Fowler were involved in a nearly $30 million operation. Between 2017 and 2019, they operated at least two Amazon storefronts. They also sold to at least three other sellers on Amazon. CVS estimates the operation was selling $5 million a year in stolen goods on Amazon or other Amazon sellers in recent years. So Amazon suspended at least one of the accounts back in 2019, and both of them are now closed. The account was blocked after they suspected that the seller could be listing improperly obtained products and the seller could not produce valid invoices when asked for them. In addition, Amazon worked closely with law enforcement to help break up another organized crime ring that Mr. Drago had supplied, including closing four seller accounts. So whenever Amazon suspects a seller may be hawking goods it purchased from a retail crime ring, it requests invoices, purchase orders, or other proofs of sourcing. So the bank account indicated that Mr. Drago and Ms. Fowler also operated a smaller eBay account. An eBay spokeswoman said stolen goods are not tolerated on the site and that the company is committed to cooperating with law enforcement and retailers. Law enforcement officers served Amazon and eBay with search warrants seeking records for its account. Amazon provided correspondence with Mr. Drago regarding complaints about his suspended account but did not hand over financial details of transactions or internal notes about suspicious activities despite repeated requests by law enforcement. According to, an, to Amazon officials, they provided extensive information but did not provide sales data because the warrant and follow-up request did not explicitly request them. On the other hand, eBay was more responsive to such warrants handing over detailed financial transactions from Mr. Drago's account on its platform. 
Before the warrant, the company had also allowed a CVS investigator to access more than 15,000 financial transactions for the accounts associated with Mr. Drago's storefront without any legal intervention. eBay subsequently shut down the account. So days before police arrested Mr. Drago and Ms. Fowler on September 30 last year, the two of them attempted to sell $1 million worth of stolen merchandise to an Amazon seller. CBS investigators outside the Concord warehouse saw hundreds of boxes leaving the warehouse and then they alerted law enforcement and UPS, which stopped the shipment. That seller no longer appears to have a storefront on Amazon. So when police raided the warehouse and other properties associated with Mr. Drago and Ms. Fowler on September 30, they found more than $8 million in over-the-counter medication and other products from various retailers along with $85,000 in cash, according to the California Attorney General's office. So Mr. Drago, Ms. Fowler, and three others, um, Edgar Giovanni Robles Morales, Isis Vasquez Villanueva, and Jose Villatoro, were charged with criminal profiteering, money laundering, conspiracy to commit a felony, possession of stolen property, and organized retail theft. On December 3, 2021, about two weeks ago, California Attorney General Rob Bonta announced their sentencing. Ms. Fowler pleaded guilty to one count of felony organized retail theft, one count of felony receiving stolen property, as well as an aggravated white-collar enhancement. She was sentenced to three years in state prison. However, the execution of her sentence will be suspended pending successful completion of her two years formal supervised probation, including 364 days in San Mateo County Jail. Robles Morales and Villanueva pleaded guilty to felony conspiracy to commit organized retail theft. They were sentenced to probation with 364 days of electronic monitoring or work program. Villatoro pleaded guilty to receiving stolen property and was sentenced to probation and 30 days in jail. So the lead defendant, Danny Drago, pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit organized retail theft, receiving stolen property, and money laundering. Additionally, he admitted the special allegation of the aggravated white-collar enhancement of over $500,000. His plea agreement um, stipulates a, th- a term of six years in state prison and is scheduled to be sentenced on February 25, 2022. So to wrap up, I discussed the role of social media in the recent series of mass lootings happening all over the United States. I also did a deep dive into some organized crime rings that were recently busted by law enforcement officials. They used online shopping sites like Amazon and eBay to sell stolen goods worth millions of dollars over a period of several years. The Bid Picture Podcast is produced by Sunshine Media in association with Alowinly Productions. Fact-checking by Zara Kuznetsova. Audio engineer, Sergey Gorski. Graphic design, Stacey Graham. Senior producer, Abidemi Ologunde. Executive producers, Olufolani Ologunde and Tobiloba Ologunde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurities, news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Beat Picture Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please share the show with anyone that you think might benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdme at thebeatpicture.com. 
You can also get in touch on Twitter at BitPicture, on the Clubhouse app at Bit, as well as on the Wisdom app at Bidemi. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.